Good afternoon. Thank you for joining me. Julian Campbell here, and we've got another interesting show for business, the law in you today. A bit later in the program, we'll have a look at our Harvard Business Review tips. One of them is stop giving your team unnecessary work. Very interesting point, that. We're also talking with Christina. We're going to have a little recap on uh, those crazy ideas from last week and a couple more steps that we can take. But right now, we're going to have a chat with Tony Vidray from AV Chartered Accountants. Good afternoon, Tony. Hi, Julian. How are you? And I'm glad we've got you this week. <laughs> Finally, yeah. All those phone problems we had last time. Yeah, no, I had to laugh at that. Stop giving your team unnecessary work. I think um, my team give me unnecessary work as their, as their boss, but that's a whole other story. Oh, you don't delegate then? <laughs> oh, I delegate, but then uh, they have this... <laughs> they send it back. Remarkable... They have this remarkable ability of upward delegating. <laughs> well, last time we were going to talk about the uh, the debt debacle with Centrelink uh, and, and separate the facts from the emotion, so uh, we didn't get the chance to do it, so let's talk about it today. Yeah, sure. Let's have a chat about it today. And, and of course, this I'm going to make some segues across to you know, what the tax office does yes. uh, when they've got a similar, faced with a similar sort of an issue. So... This this issue has has kind of calmed down a little bit in the media, but it's still quite you know quite a raw um, type of um, you know emotion that's attached to this when you when you're faced with these sort of letters coming out of um, out of Centrelink. Now, the the problems with the way that they've handled it is what I want to what I want to have a chat with, and this is this is where they could really do things a, a little bit better. And it's been a few a few of these sort of examples have already been given, but I just want to touch up touch over on some of these. So one of them is you know, providing information to Centrelink and then having to provide it um, again. So part of the issue with this is that, and I'll give you an example, let's say you had someone who six years ago was on unemployment Centrelink benefits for the first six months of the financial year and then in the second six months of the year, let's say they got themselves a job at, um, you know, for 80000 so they only earned half of that for the for the six months, so they earned $40,000. Now, even though they would have quite, you know, honestly and gone and said to Centrelink, you know, I'm, I no longer need unemployment benefits, I'm now employed, what these guys, what the computer system has done, and what I love about the language they use is it's a matching algorithm. It's not an algorithm, it's just a silly way that the programmers have been instructed to do the calculation. Mm-hmm. What they do is they look at the $40,000 that the person has earned, and clearly they've earned it in the second six months of the year, and there's probably a payment summary and pay, pay slips that'll substantiate that. But the, but the computer system for Centrelink divides that by 52 and says, well, hang on, you've earned this amount of money each week throughout that entire... Yeah, each week throughout that particular financial year, you weren't entitled to um, your Centrelink benefits. So that's the first thing that happens. And, and as we've now heard, there's a letter that comes out from Centrelink that says, look, we think we've overpaid you. If we don't hear from you within 21 days... We're going to assume that we're right, and then you know we're going to start sending the Gestapo after you, and you're going to have to you know pay uh, pay the the, uh, the money back. Another problem that's 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 occurred that's come out of this is um, business names aren't always you know what they appear um, to be. So you know you could have a situation. They've actually got a interestingly with the uh, with the Oscars that have just been run. There's a, a real life example here of all the different names of PricewaterhouseCoopers that is on the, the Centrelink system. There's PricewaterhouseCoopers, all one word, then there's PricewaterhouseCoopers, three words, then there's Pricewaterhouse space Coopers, um, Pricewaterhouse Legal, um, and, and on and on it goes. They're all seen as separate employers. Yes, yeah, on the Centrelink system. Now, even though they were told, as in Centrelink were told, look, don't use the name of a business, use the, the ABN, because the ABN clearly is a, is a business um, marker and a business identifier, Apparently, that's a little bit too hard for the Centrelink computer. So 
what they look at is they say, oh, well, you've, you've earned, in that, go back to that example, you've earned $40,000 from five different employers right. that you weren't entitled to the, the, pay, to pay. the Centrelink benefits. So again, and, and, and again, segue into the tax office, part of the problem that we have with our taxation systems and our Centrelink systems is this. The onus of proof is always on the individual. Yeah. Okay, yeah. it's always on you. Don't ever forget that. You might think, you know, you have a right or an entitlement to a refund or an amount of money from Centrelink. At the end of the day, the onus of proof will always be on you. And I, and I want to talk a little bit about record keeping if we get time yeah. about this as well. Now, the other problem is this. <laughs> Most people um, don't have a MyGov account. Now, Centrelink and the government love to communicate through um, people's um, MyGov account. So a lot of the times the snail mail is never received. The first you hear about it is when the debt collectors Knock are on the door. trying to track you. Yeah, they're trying to track you down say, oh, you, you've got this debt that has crystallised. You've ignored all the correspondence. And that's the first time that you hear that there's a problem. And you think of the logic behind this as well. So I go back to that example again that I gave you. Five or six years ago, you may have lived in a completely different address. So yeah. you may have moved address a couple of times. So because your your interaction with Centrelink is, was only like a one-off five or six years ago, you haven't bothered to keep your address up to date with them because you don't deal with them anymore. So, of course, they've got the... They send the, the mail out, the snail mail out to the old address, it comes back returned, and next thing you know, the, the debt collectors are having to look up on the system through the tax office, what's your latest, latest address, and that's the first you hear about the debt collection notice, right? Yeah. There's another problem. So, And, and part of the problem is, is also this. Not only is the onus on you to disprove that the amount's wrong, these sort of assessments have come through from the ATO and Centrelink. It's, it's, it's actually enshrined in there in law that they're deemed to be correct. Okay. Right. So because they're deemed to be correct, it's an actual debt, and they're they're entitled to recover the money. And this is why there's such an outcry because people all of a sudden are saying, "Well, hang on, this is wrong." Um, but in the time it takes them to fix it up, you start have to start repaying this amount of money. So unless yeah. you, if you're one of the lucky three people to be able to get through to Centrelink um, in a day, um, you know, <laughs> 29 million calls were cut off by Centrelink. They hung up on 29 million calls last year. It's, just, it's impossible. It's an impossible scenario. Is this the reason why they're trying to get everybody, both the tax office and Centrelink, onto MyGov? They are. They're trying to... It, it, there's a concept called digital by default that you'll hear more and more and more about where the, essentially the government just want to deal with us digitally. So yeah. I actually physically walked into a Centrelink office um, the other day because... Um, well, it was a Medicare Centrelink slash NDIS office because the computer system, when I went for a doctor's visit, wasn't quite working. So, you know, the automatic sort of refund that I'm supposed to get from Medicare didn't work. So I had to physically go in there. And um, everything, just the whole computer system, everything has just changed. It's, yeah. They do not want to do it. In fact, as soon as I walked in, they said, oh, you know, you can do this online. And no, I'm not on, I do not have a MyGov account. I just want to get my Medicare, yeah. the Medicare refund. So, you know, you, you, you do the maths. The numbers of people who are working for Centrelink, is you know a set number and reducing the number of these sort of inquiries you're, saying this assessment's wrong. You're, you're dealing with the tax office all the time online. You are, um, yeah. and this week uh, the the BAS statements and the IAS statements were due. Um, we were doing my wife's IAS and uh, the uh, computer well, it it accepted the IAS completion form, but when we went to pay it, the computer crashed, so we couldn't get a. Uh, a reference number. A sort of seat number. Now, what day, the, what day was this that you were doing? Could I just ask you It was you uh, Monday. Monday. Mon Monday the 27th of February? Yeah. 
where the due date is the 28th of February? Well, Correct. there's your answer. <laughs> Don't <laughs> leave it to the last minute. I know. <laughs> oh, yeah, so it's, yeah, look, their computer systems just get flooded on on um, on, on due date. So, Te- see, technology is fantastic until it goes wrong, isn't it? Oh, look, <laughs> that's, that's the thing. When you've got so many people who are trying to use it. The last thing I just wanted to very, very quickly say is this, and this is the, the record-keeping side yeah. of it. I think I've actually found a, a glitch or a flaw or an oversight or something um, on the Department of Human Services website because I cannot for the life of me find um, a comprehensive sort of list of their record-keeping requirements. All they say is you, you need to keep records, keep okay. payslips. They don't tell you how long you're supposed to keep them for. Okay. The tax office have got a very specific you know, idea of these, these, you know, you've got to keep these records for this long. Centrelink doesn't have that. So um. I'm actually putting it on... I'm giving myself a project. I'm actually going to write to the minister and say, listen, you know, you expect people to keep records, but you're not telling them how long they've got to keep it for, and you're not telling them in what format they're supposed to um, to keep it for. So how many years? 10, 15, 50? Like, how long? How far can they um, can they go back? Okay. Their website doesn't mention it, which I think is part of the problem as well. Just refer the minister to our podcast for this program, and he can listen to your uh, comments. Great idea. I'll <laughs> download it. We'll have a chat again next month. Good on you, Julian. Thanks. Thanks, Tony. Bye-bye. Cheers. There is uh, some challenges with those systems. Uh, computers are great until they go wrong, and uh, I can understand uh, people getting a little bit frustrated, and hopefully one day we'll get them fixed. You're listening to Business, the Law, and You on 2NURFM 103.7. It's time to pop over to Christina for our discussion on innovation. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you this week? I'm very well, and we're going to have a little bit of a recap, recap yes, on we are. crazy ideas because I cut you off for step four and five last week. Yes, I think I spoke too long <laughs> and too quickly about everything, so I thought we'd do a quick rerun. So we were talking about having crazy ideas. What do you do with crazy ideas? The fact that most, you know, most big companies these days were formed from a crazy idea. Mm. Um, so the first step. We're just going over that again, is to understand the problem, understand the risks, make plans to minimise risks, because we often talk um, on this show about failure and people's aversion to failure and what that means, and, you know, we need to support failures, etc. We've said many times that that doesn't mean that you're going to um, invest a whole lot of money and a whole lot of time uh, and then, you know, go into a, into a failed perspective. So we do risk assessment, we go, how do we minimise risks, how do we make this an experiment around the crazy idea that's going to minimise those risks. Number two, diverge. How many ways can you solve the problem? Even even the most unrealistic ways go on the board because I can't tell you how many workshops, et cetera, that, that I've been a part of that um, where the craziest idea has actually, once we've sat down, planned it out, hasn't seemed that crazy and is no. very achievable. Yeah. Many times, I'm sure you've come across it as well, you know. So how do you resolve the problem? Write down as many diverse ways as you can um, of solving the problem. And, you know, even if it's unrealistic, bring it back to reality because step three is to converge. Take all the ideas you've got, hone in on the ones that your gut tells you are actually going to work the best, um, and then start planning around it. So the fourth step is to prototype. What can you create? What can you build quickly, cheaply, and test on your existing clients or your existing database? Mm. What can you learn? How many can you learn with all the prototypes that you're doing? Her prototype was made from the $2 shop, bits and pieces from the $2 shop and what she could find at home. Um, and then what assumptions are there around the prototype? 
because you really, we really need to be conscious of making assumptions, making assumptions on if people want to use it, how people are going to use it. Um, so, we, you know, that's what a prototype is. It's all about testing. So what can you build cheaply, cheaply quickly? What can you test? Your existing client base, your existing database is such a great place to start with that. So, and the fifth... Sorry, yeah, so that, that step would require some really good testing, wouldn't it, to make sure oh, you are yeah, getting sure. uh, real, real results? Yes, real results and that there's real value. You know, there's no point developing a prototype any further if people go, eh, you know, it's not really that useful. I've got mm. this other thing that does it or no, I'm happy with the other. You know, there's got to be a wow factor around what you're prototyping to make people go, hey, haven't seen it before. Hey, it makes it a lot easier. Hey, isn't this process better? Hey, isn't that service a lot more, you know, it's more reliable. Mm. It makes mm. the functions easier. Um, so the fifth thing then is to test it. Once you've got your prototype, test it, learn it, change it retest it, relearn, what, what are you going to learn next? You know, it's a constant journey in course correction. Um, and some people, like some organisations do this over a five-day process. You know, they, they come in and they hammer hard, they do ideation on one day and then they'll, they'll spend the next four days actually going through that whole step two, step three, step four, step five um, to come out at the end with a, a really great working prototype that's been tested several times that then can then go into business development um, and with an action plan around how they're going to go about doing that. And, of course, you then would continue to keep developing once you have got that oh, yes. product working. Uh, yep. Is there a better way of making it better? Uh, a constant, look, everything should be constantly improved. You know, wow. for all the bad press and all the bad things that, that Uber has had about them lately, they are constantly moving. They're constantly looking for the next thing. Google, constantly looking for the next thing. What else can we add to our product bucket? What's going to make things easier for our for the people that we provide our services to? Mm. And we're going to finish up with a, a little bit of space trivia. Space trivia. So what I read this week was that Elon Musk is actually... He's, it's probably reasonably common knowledge that he's launched the rocket and it's come back down and landed again. So everyone's quite excited about that. But then now they've got two people who don't want to be identified, who have must have paid quite a lot of money, um, to actually take a trip to the moon. So mm. apparently it's been something like 50 years since we've nice. had anybody close to the moon. And I kind of went, that can't be right. Yeah, um, but I couldn't find Well, I couldn't find any information to disprove it. So if any of your listeners have got any information that disproves that theory, then you know I'm more than happy to listen to it. But, you know, amazing. Two, two reasonably normal people, <laughs> I don't know, um, are, are going to have a, a, you know, a wonderful trip to the moon. Oh, all right. Well, thanks very much for your time. We'll uh, have a chat with you again next week. Okay. Look forward to it, Julian. Have a great week. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Christina there with uh, just a recap on those crazy ideas that we want to get. We wanted to get step four and five in. We've got time for one of our uh, Harvard Business re- Review tips. As we said earlier, stop giving your team unnecessary work. No one likes busy work, and yet, not only do we have it, we all have it, but most managers assign it. If your team is buckling under deadlines and stress, assess whether you're giving them unnecessary tasks and then figure out how to ease the burden. Start by regularly auditing your team's work. Ask team members to estimate how much time they spend on each task how central the task is to their role, and how much value each task yields. For those tasks that are needless or low in value, solicit your team's suggestions on how to reduce or eliminate them and work together to implement those solutions. Often improving communication and granting greater autonomy can help get rid of that inefficient process. 
Keep in mind, though, that you may not be the one assigning the unnecessary work. Advocate for your team by insisting on better information when your team receives unclear or conflicting directives from above, and always make sure your team gets the resources it needs to perform and thrive. Interesting points there. We do often have a lot of unnecessary work, don't we? We get home at the end of the day sometimes and think, hmm, that was a bit of a waste of a day. So important to have a look at it from time to time. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. Uh, we've uh, had, a, had a look at uh, some of the facts behind the uh, debt debacle, and particularly how that also uh, relates to uh, the tax office too, and a recap on those crazy ideas. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to find out all about workplace surveillance with Rebecca McKenzie from Baker Love Lawyers. We'll talk innovation with Christina and have some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for Business, the Law and You at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week and as Franklin D. Roosevelt once said, the only limit to our realisation of tomorrow will be our doubts of today.